Roger, Roger. Roger, Roger. All right, we did it. We are recording after some crazy, strange technical difficulties. I hate, hate technical difficulties when we're recording. It is the worst. It's so time-consuming. Can't even. Man. We made it. Yeah, we're here. We're recording. Just so you all know... Top Gun rules of engagement are written for your safety and for that of your team. They are not flexible, nor am I. Either obey them or your history. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, you do. You should do voiceover work. Uh, I don't know. You don't think so? I I have never thought of doing doing voiceover work. Hmm. I don't know. just never like occurred to me that voiceover work could be a thing I could do. <laughs> but you could. We've been doing this long enough. You're used to talking into microphones. You should try it. Maybe one day I will. All right. Are we ready to blast off? I'm ready. Let's take off. Let's do it. Sorry, Goose, but it's time to buzz the tower. No, no, Mav. This is not a good idea. It's the best idea. So, Joseph, what are we doing here? Well, hold on, hold on. Here we go. No, I'm holding. Here we go. I don't know what we're doing. I'm trying to get into it. I've been so frustrated from the technical difficulties that I need to, like, get my body going and get ready for this podcast. Hi, my name's Joey, and I like to podcast. Welcome to Secret Level. I'd like to introduce you to my pal, Billy. Hello, Billy. Hi. (laughs) Hi, guys. We made it. We, we did it. This is amazing. It's <laughs> ah, probably the best intro you've ever done. I know. It's pretty crazy, isn't it? All right. So let's get on with it, shall we? I feel like we should be talking about sweaty balls. And in this episode of Secret Level, we're going to be talking about the wonderful 1987 Tony Scott film, Top Gun. All right. I think I'm done. That was my jet noise. <laughs> Did you like it? Oh, man, the audience would probably be like, are they really going to do the whole episode like this? Because <laughs> that would be yes. so annoying. In today's episode, we are going to talk about Top Gun, the classic Tom Cruise, Tony Scott-directed film. So Top Gun isn't just a movie, it's an experience. Top Gun is so cool it's such a freaking cool movie i don't care what anybody says i freaking love the hell out of top gun man i watched it like four times leading up to this podcast <laughs> me too because i'm I was like legit just watching it again because i because i here. watched it by myself and then uh-huh. i watched it again my wife came home from work and i'm like I'm going to put on Top Gun and watch it with Carrie. And so I like put on Top Gun. And so now we're watching watching Top Gun with my wife. And then another day comes along and I'm like, my kids come home from school and they're just sitting there on their iPhones and stuff. And I'm like, I'm going to put on Top Gun and watch it in front of my kids now. <laughs> did they watch it? <laughs> they did, yeah. Nice. What did they think? Uh, they thought it was stupid. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly what I expected you to say. <laughs> Because uh, I'm trying to get, watching. I'm trying to get everyone excited to go see Top Gun Maverick with me, uh-huh. and Billy and I 
were at CinemaCon recently and we saw Top Gun Maverick. And while we're watching, you know, after it was done, we were like, we need to do a Top Gun episode of Secret Level. So that's what, why we're here. We're doing a Top Gun episode in celebration of the completely amazingly awesome Top Gun Maverick. So the movie is so biggest, good. Yeah, but one of my biggest worries was would it catch the magic of the first one? Because the first one, there's a lot of flaws in it, but I will never point them out because it's so good. I don't care about the flaws. It's just right. a fun freaking film. When I first saw Top Gun, mm-hmm. I, I it made me want to join the Navy. Like I was like, I'm joining the military. I need to be a pilot now. Like my, I need to be a pilot. Right. And, and there came that time where I went to the recruiter office of the Navy. I took their tests and did the stuff. I just assume when I go in, when someone goes into a recruitment office and you'd be like, yeah, I want to be a pilot. They're going to be like, yeah, you can do anything you want. And so I took the test (laughs) and they're like, yeah, you can be a pilot. And I'm like, sweet. And then the thing was though, I was very i was recently married i had only been married for a few months uh and it wasn't just didn't feel like it didn't feel right when it came down to it and i decided not to and then i you know all these years later i'm watching top gun maverick and i'm like shit i had my chance and now it's gone you could have totally done it (laughs) Uh, it it's only it's interesting looking back on that because a part of me was like I wish I would have done it I wish I would have joined the Navy and done their pilot program and but it's too late now now I just uh, write about geek stuff and uh, do this podcast exactly <laughs> now I get to talk about awesome people doing awesome things that I wish I got to do in my life right exactly. <laughs> But I mean, the original Top Gun still works because I watched it with my kids and my 11 year old is obsessed. Awesome with the movie. I love the original Top Gun movie, which is why we want to talk about it. We saw Top Gun Maverick, which blew my freaking mind. It is one of the greatest movie going experiences ever. It's like you have to see it on the big screen because it's just every freaking frame is just beautifully shot and it just grabs you from the beginning it doesn't let go and it's just so much fun it is such a fun movie and and in fact it might be one of the best movies ever made because it was just had everything that you it was pure movie bliss it's why we go to the movies it had all of those things so that's why we are here today talking about top gun and having some fun with y'all. Right. So I think the best part about Top Gun Maverick is the new cast was just as endearing as the old cast. The yeah. chemistry was good. The, the The action sequences were good. You felt for the characters. It was great. So let's get pumped for Top Gun before Top Gun Maverick comes out. Ah, right. But before we jump into it, I, I kind of, Billy and I both kind of had the same past couple of weeks. We we met up in Las Vegas and we went to CinemaCon 
and we saw a bunch of cool stuff. So that's what I was going to talk about for like what cool things I did and saw because I did and saw a ton of freaking cool, cool things. We got to see the black phone, Scott Derrickson's upcoming horror film, which looks amazing. Uh, we got to see footage from John Way 4, The Expendables 4. We were, oh, it's just, there's so much cool stuff. I'm, Salem's Lot was one of the coolest surprise trailers that was there. Stephen King Salem's Lot's getting a new movie. And it just, it looks freaky and awesome. And what else did we see, Billy? We got to see that. We got to see some funny movies like uh, Easter Sunday looked pretty funny. Yeah, that trailer's um, out now. We got to see Olivia Wilde get served papers while introducing Don't Worry Darling. Yeah, yep, that was always inter- that, was that was interesting awkward. and awkward for sure. Yeah. Um, CinemaCon's man. always a good time, though. We always get to yeah. see a lot of cool stuff. It's one of my favorite events to go to. It's pretty chill. Studios put on a great presentation. We got to see Dwayne Johnson, Steve Carell, Olivia Wilde all show up in person to show off the films that they have coming out. Like, you know, we saw stuff from Black Adam. We saw stuff from The Flash. We could see Michael Keaton, like full on Batman and like seven different Batman suits that he's got. Shazam, Fury of the Gods. We got to see footage from that. There's all kinds of stuff. I mean, we got to see like so much cool footage. So it was just a fun, it was a fun week in Vegas. Good food. We got, we got to eat some good food. Hash House of Go-Go, Buddy oh, Bobby V's. V's. Always Bobby V's. Yeah, it was great. Uh, it, was great it was a great time. Out. We've never had that before. What? In and out. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, since we had the same week of adventures, why don't we jump right into some Top Gun? All right. Here's the synopsis. Are you ready? Yes. The Top Gun Naval Fighter Weapons School is where the best of the best train to refine their elite flying skills. When a hotshot fighter pilot, Maverick, is sent to the school, his reckless attitude and cocky demeanor put him at the odds with all of the other pilots, especially the cool and collected Iceman. But Maverick isn't only competing to be the top fighter pilot, he's also fighting for the attention of his beautiful flight instructor. Wow. <laughs> That's intense. So this movie was inspired by an article that showed up in a 1983 issue of California Magazine about U.S. Navy's Top Gun School. That's what started this whole thing. Well, thank goodness for that article. Right? Without it, we'd never have seen this. Right. Before Tony Scott jumped on to direct this movie... Two other directors were approached and turned it down. Those directors were John Carpenter mm-hmm. and David Cronenberg. Huh. Tony Scott ended up ultimately being hired because he filmed a commercial of a car racing a jet. And so, yeah. you know, that got him the gig in the end. But could you imagine what this movie would have been like had Carpenter or Cronenberg directed it? They would... You've had three directors here, and each one has a, a very distinct style. Absolutely. And they would it, Top Gun would have been a completely different movie had Carpenter or Cronenberg take it, taken it on. Like, I right. can't even imagine what that would have been like. What would have that been like? Would it have been the classic that we got, you know? Would it have been like 
amazingly good or would have been weird. It seems like if Cron- Cronenberg t- took it on, it would have been I, strange. I just, yeah, I just, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I have no idea what to expect, well, how they would have changed would have the a- script and things like that. Right. I, I think Cronenberg's would have been a little bit more um, artsy, to say. Yep. Like, more like moody and broody. Sure. Uh, Do you think it would I have think- had like any kind of body horror in it? Like scanners. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about '80s Cronenberg here. Like, right. This is when he was doing some really weird shit. Yep. Um, yes, yeah, someone's head probably would have exploded. Like when we won't talk about the death of Goose. We'll we'll pick something else. <laughs> but yes, it would have been gory. I think Carpenter's probably would have been a little bit more. Huh. Like he likes those establishing shots. So like it would be a lot more. Yeah, know. I'm. I'm really curious. I mean. I, I don't get me wrong. I love what we got. I wouldn't change it for anything in the world, but just trying to see what it might have been like from another, someone other's vision and imagination right. is kind of cool to think about. So you can all just think about that while we move on, because from the very beginning, the filmmakers wanted Tom Cruise, but it took some convincing. He did not want to do this movie at first huh i wonder why well producer jerry bruckheimer had to convince him to sign on to the film after his reluctance so bruckheimer arranged for a ride-along with the blue angels okay and that's what ultimately convinced tom to do the movie uh bruckheimer said in an interview so they the navy take tom up there they do 5Gs, they do barrel rolls, they do everything. He's, he's heaving in the plane, he gets on the tarmac, runs to a payphone, and he calls him up and says, I'm in, I'm doing the movie, I love it, this is great. So basically, it took them to get him up <laughs> in the jet planes to actually feel what it's like to be in there to get him to do the movie. Right. I mean, whatever it takes, man, he was perfect for the role. Now, because they weren't sure if Tom was going to eventually take it, because they, while they were trying to get him to be in the movie, they obviously needed some backup actors that could possibly replace him if, if right. he ended up dropping out. Some of those uh, actors included Matthew Modine, who wouldn't have done the role because he objected to the film's Cold War politics. They also went through Patrick Swayze, Emilio Estevez, Nicolas Cage, John Cusack, Matthew Broderick, Sean Penn, Michael J. Fox, Scott Bale, and Tom Hanks. Wow. On top of that, they considered Charlie Sheen, Jim Carrey, Rob Lowe, John Travolta, Kevin Bacon, Eric Stoltz, and Robert Downey Jr., Wow. They, so, so they had a long the- list of people that they were going through to try, that they wanted to see if they were actually going to be interested to be in this movie if Tom Cruise ended up not being in it. So they essentially just went down the casting list. They just went down every hot shot so. actor in Hollywood in the 80s, dude. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. 
that works. But Tom Cruise, it worked so well for him. I mean, this so this well. movie was his first big his first big blockbuster film. I mean, this was his first big ticket movie. And mm-hmm. it's it's funny because Cruise now is known for doing all of his own stunts. He can do everything. He can fly jets, fly airplanes, fly helicopters, jump off buildings, scale buildings, jump from one building to the other building, hang off a helicopter. He's just doing everything, right? Tom Cruise right. is just the guy doing his death-defying stunts. He's jumping out and doing halo jumps out of airplanes at 50,000 feet. The guy is a madman. When he started Top Gun, when he when he joined this role, uh-huh. he didn't even know how to ride a motorcycle. <laughs> and he had oh, to sorry. learn to ride a motorcycle for this movie. <laughs> wow. That's how young Tom Cruise was when he did this movie. Wow. It's like, you're going to need to learn how to ride a motorcycle. <laughs> and now look what he's doing. Look what he's doing now. He's learned he's to do everything. Off of cliffs. Everything. The yep. guy could pilot a freaking space shuttle if he wanted to. Probably, yeah. I wouldn't doubt it. It's insane. But when Tom got the movie, he went up in a real F-14 jet fighter for the first time. He was with a guy. His name was Lieutenant Commander Lloyd Abel. And his call sign was Bozo. After Bozo did some maneuvers with Cruz in the air, Cruz had no choice but to reach for his barf bag because he was just making him sick. As the story goes, as he did that, Bozo did this crazy maneuver that put Cruz's head to the floor of the cockpit. And he struggled to activate the intercom to tell Bozo what was happening. When Bozo finally leveled the plane, Cruz hit the intercom and said, Bozo, didn't you see? I wasn't in your rear view mirror. Bozo replied, sorry, but then again, they don't call me Bozo for nothing. <laughs> oh, man. What, I can only imagine. What, what, I, what I wouldn't give to go up in a freaking jet fighter with these professional pilots to take a ride with them. Like that's like something I have always wanted to do. I don't know if I will ever get the opportunity. If anyone is listening that could make this wish come true, (laughs) please let me know because I just want to fly in a freaking jet fighter with a freaking fighter pilot. That's what I want to do. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. If it was readily available, I'd be there. But we're not that lucky. At least not now. Maybe we will. Somebody listening to the podcast will be like, you know what? I got you. That would be great. Yeah. And, of course, Tom was throwing up, you know, in the planes and stuff like that. I, And I wonder, would I throw up? I don't know. I don't know. I don't get, I don't get motion sickness. I can do roller coasters all day long. I can read in the car. <laughs> right. So I don't know. Someone need. I need to go up. Someone needs to test this out. We need to do a test to see if I can, if I throw up in a jet plane. So, any takers? Anyone? Yeah, somebody's got to do it. Now <laughs> that you've thrown it out there like that, somebody's got to do it. The motorcycle Cruise rides of the film is the Kawasaki Ninja 900 GPZ 900R, which was the fastest production motorcycle in the world at the time. Yeah, let's get the brand new motorcycle rider, the fastest motorcycle out there. <laughs> and what I love though is that that motorcycle you've all seen the trailers. It's in the sequel, and he gets to yeah. like 
He still got it. He's still riding that sucker around. Yes. One of the many cameos in the movie. Yes. As for the female lead in the movie, Charlie Blackwood, there were other actresses that were looked at for the role, including Brooke Shields and Deborah Winger were considered. They also looked at Tatum O'Neill, Jodie Foster, Daryl Hannah, Diane Lane, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Linda Hamilton. And Carrie Fisher was also considered. Hmm. Actually, I could see Deborah Winger in that role. I think she would have been really good at that. I could see Brooke Shields in that role in the 80s. Brooke Shields in the 80s? Mm-hmm. 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 Yep. Okay. The role ultimately went to Kelly McGillis. Kelly McGillis. Who was great. Yeah. She they was... wanted to go, they were actually, they wanted to go for an unknown actress at the time for the role. Right. They which succeeded. is why they didn't go with Brooke Shields or Deborah Winger. But, you know, Brooke Shields. Yeah. Uh, Louis Gossett Jr., mm-hmm. who was in Iron Eagle, was considered for the role of Viper in the film. Uh, yeah, but yeah, and I can see that he would have been good. But I, I love Tom Skerritt's. Oh, he was great. John Voight was portrayal. also considered, but Tom Skerritt, hands down, the best choice. Yes, love Tom Skerritt. I'm a big fan. Yes, yes. When talking about the character he played in the film, Tom Cruise was saying that Maverick was the first character of his career that he played who was, and I quote, larger than life. And it was also the first time that he'd been involved in a film from the very early stages of production. So he actually helped in the script writing and the producing and stuff like that. So he was he pretty much threw himself into this movie to get it made. Right. And now that's what he does with all of his films. He just completely 100% throws himself in in every production he's in and has a hand in every aspect of that production, which is just insane to me. He's doing everything. Right. Yep. I think that just got his creative juices flowing. Cause yeah, after that you could see him just pop off with action films, except for a few good men where he's just essentially Maverick in a different position. <laughs> so in the making of the film, the Navy was heavily involved with this movie. Obviously. I mean, they were letting them use their jets. They were letting them use their, aircraft carriers and their ships mm-hmm. and and their you know their men for whatever they needed help with i mean they were just 100% on board with this movie so the navy had like a huge part in the development of this film i mean paramount pictures basically and and the director and stuff they had to partner up with them the, the, basically the main setting of the film was the navy so the navy had to be involved uh, there were lots of things that the Navy had to do, and you know they gave them parameters that uh, they had to follow while they were shooting the movie. For example, they only authorized two actual missiles to be sh- used in the film that were shot. You can clearly see these two shots from several angles each in order to use both shots repeatedly during the dogfight scene. So if you watch the movie, and whenever you see missiles being shot, that's only two shots that are being used over and over and over again 
So it's kind of funny, you know. You yeah. if you after I went through and read this and watched the movie, you can definitely pick it out. I guess it was just right. too expensive to be shooting off missiles oh, all the time. Like you they're not going to give Hollywood unlimited missiles like, "Oh man, we missed that shot. We got to we got to do that again, guys. We got to fire off that missile again." And they didn't have CG back then, so it had to be real missiles. But you could tell the ones that they used, but sometimes there's different missile shots in there. Yeah. So it was crazy to find out how they did the other ones. Yeah. Because the actual firing of the missile is holding a steady altitude and heading, that's something that would never happen in a real close-in dogfight. All uh-huh. the other missiles shot shown in the film were conducted using miniatures of both the planes and the rockets. The company that produced and fired the model missiles did such a good job that the Department of the Navy conducted a preliminary investigation to whether any additional live firings of missiles beyond the two that were originally authorized were done for the filmmakers. So, kind of fun. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's great. You did such a good job. Like, your effects team must have been really happy with that. Yep. The Pentagon charged Paramount Pictures... $1.8 million to use all of their planes and aircraft carriers for the film. What? Yep, $1.8 million to use all that stuff. In 1986, when they used the film, jet fuel Uh was only a dollar a gallon. Not expensive for the 80s, I guess, right? Uh (laughs) Jet fuel, a dollar a gallon? Sign me up. But Paramount still paid $10,000 an hour every time they went up in an F-14. That's $10, $10,000 an hour. So, man, anyone want to take me up for a drive jet? Please. <laughs> Please. Man. I'd much appreciate it. $10,000, man. Every yeah. hour. That's crazy. Well, just think about it. So the whole dogfight scene at the end when like uh, Iceman's waiting for Maverick to show up, that whole swarm thing with the MiGs and him, that must have cost a fortune to film. I know. Seriously. Speaking, of, cool scene, speaking of Iceman and Val Kilmer, Val Kilmer oh. didn't, didn't want to be in the movie either. But he didn't need me? he didn't need any convincing though because he was contractually obligated <laughs> <laughs> to be okay. in the movie. But it ended up being one of his most iconic roles. Right. So even though he didn't want to be in it, whatever. And there's also the stories of how like uh, Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer, you know how they had their groups of people in the movie. Yeah, well, they yeah, yeah. they separated and they did their own. They didn't like hang out together. They wanted to keep kind of that like relationship tense and to do that they they never spent time with each other during during the filming. They spent time with the people that they were working with so that they could bond with them, but because mm-hmm. Maverick and Iceman never had that bond, they wanted to wanted that to show on screen when they were shooting the film. Right. Yeah, and it, it worked because it was like the tension was palpable between the two. 
so I mean, it, it must have helped because you could tell there's a little animosity between the two. A little bit more than what they had from the movie. Like it was natural. Yeah. You, yeah, exactly. While they were shooting the film, at one point, they were filming in this giant hangar and a group of Navy officers being used as extras approached Tony Scott and complained to him about the unrealistic collection of patches on the flight suits of the actors. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Right? Okay, so he replies saying, we're not making this movie for Navy fighter pilots. We're making it for Kansas wheat farmers. You don't know the difference. (laughs) Right. And as a kid, you wanted that jacket. You wanted the jacket with all the patches. Dude, I had the jacket with all the patches, bro. I didn't even care when I was in elementary school. I had a flight jacket. I got pictures of me wearing it. I love that thing. I wore it everywhere. It was the coolest (laughs) jacket of all time. And I want it back. And I don't know what happened to it. Well, it it, might not fit. I'm just saying. It fit. It fit. I didn't grow (laughs) that much. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, I mean, we're adults now. We can go buy our own. That's true. We could. It's true. I totally rock one. To shoot the jet fighter sequences in this movie to get those freaking cool shots. Paramount Pictures had to commission Grumman, the makers of the F-14, to develop and install special camera mounts on the plane. This allowed the filmmakers to use real aerial point-of-view footage from the Tomcat in flight. And they had to do the same thing with Top Gun Maverick. They, They, once again, innovative technology they had to build these cameras to put inside the jet so that they could get the best possible shots from the actors in the jet fighters as they were shooting the movies they actually had the actors trained to have to do all the lighting themselves turn the camera on and basically direct themselves as they're as they shot those scenes which is just seems like a lot, right? Not only do you have to act, but you also have to be like a cinematographer and and a camera operator and a director because you got to kind of just do your thing while you're up there. So these these actors were kind of doing their own thing up there, which just seems pretty cool. Well, it's cool, but and it kind of that's the whole thing that makes Top Gun cool are those shots, those in your face shots of them in the plane. I mean. Yeah, and it's it's crazy. It's it's like I I always wondered what it would be like to be in the plane in that bubble, flying at top speeds. Because you're you're watching the movie, and it's like you got the guy, you know, the the guy in the back seat of the plane, right? And he's like turning his head around and like looking behind him, looking in front of him. He's got his hands on the windows, right? And he's like, he's like, they're they're right behind you. They're coming after you, Mav. You got to do something. Come on, and Mav, kinda, do some of that pilot shit. Right, but that like kind of just brought the danger to a whole new level because you get to see them actually freaking out in there. Like It wasn't like an outside fakey shot. It was they're in there, claustrophobic, watching things happen around them. It was really cool. I love that. Yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome. For that opening shot of the film, mm-hmm. Tony Scott wanted to shoot aircraft taking off and landing on the aircraft carrier. It's a beautiful shot. Yeah, so fun. Absolutely beautiful. Back, backlit by the sun, all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Awesome. The aircraft carrier captain 
had changed course of the ship. And when Scott asked if the ship could continue on the previous course and speed, he was told turning the ship would cost $25,000. Holy crap. Scott then wrote the captain a quick $25,000 check so that he would turn the ship around and they, he could keep shooting the scene for another five minutes. Man. According to Scott, the check bounced. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? If I was writing a $25,000 check right now, mine would probably bounce also. It, I, could you imagine like, hey, it's an aircraft carrier. It's not like it's an easy thing to do to, to, to turn a to turn an aircraft carrier around to get a Bro, shot no right uh-huh seems like a very very difficult thing to do right i just love the fact that he with confidence wrote a check to this dude knowing that it wasn't gonna clear <laughs> I know. Like maybe this will work that's He's so lucky it did yeah exactly uh, well, many terms used in the movie either match or are closely based on real terms used by naval aviators and the pilots mm. in general. The term going ballistic is a real phrase that was incorrectly used to describe a pilot successfully reaching maximum speed when it actually meant <laughs> that the pilot was going too slow to maintain control of his aircraft. Uh. So the That's aircraft awesome. is so the aircraft is ballistic like a ball thrown in the air and will be influenced by gravity rather than the control surfaces as there is too little airflow over them. The phrase is used in air combat maneuvers where the aircraft is put into a vertical or nearly vertical climb and slows below an acceptable control speed. The pilot is then just along for the ride as gravity takes over and the airplane begins to descend and accelerate back to flying speed. The call is given over the radio to warn other pilots that the aircraft cannot maneuver to avoid a collision. Nice. Cause I it remember that's like when a... it, that was, it sounded so cool in the movie though. It's like they're it going did. ballistic. <laughs> Right? And when you're <laughs> a kid, you're like, yeah, they're, they're going they're ballistic. ballistic. <laughs> yep, but instead, it just means we're going way too slow, man. <laughs> I know. <laughs> awesome. Oh, it's so funny. I wanted to go back and talk about Charlie Blackwood here for a second. Uh, the character played by Kelly McGinnis, she's actually based on a real person named Christine Fox. At the time the movie was being produced, the filmmakers wanted the character of Charlie to either be a groupie or a gymnast. But huh. when producers met Fox, whose call sign was Legs, they changed the role. The <laughs> fictional Charlie is an astrophysicist, but Fox is a mathematician who worked at the center of naval analysis which was located across the street from top gun they always know when i'm coming fox told people magazine in 1985 because i'm the only one of the few people around here whose heels click <laughs> oh there you go uh from december 2013 to february 2014 fox served as the 
acting U.S. Deputy Secretary of Defense, making her the Defense Department's highest ever ranking female officer. Nice. So good for her. Applause. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Yeah, that is really cool. I mean, she made it. It's kind of a... I don't think that code name would fly nowadays, but I mean, I'm glad she did as well as she did. Yeah. While we're on the subject, Tom Cruise and Kelly McGillans did not get along during the filming. They also didn't get along after they were done filming. They just did <laughs> not get along. They're just not friends. They did briefly reunite in 2010 for the premiere of Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, but that was it. I don't, what a weird place what a to weird hang out. Place to, to, to reunite with someone that you didn't like. Right. <laughs> someone you didn't get along with. I mean, that's kind of rough when the two main actors don't get along. But, I mean, they, they pulled it off. They did okay. Okay. The other thing about these two, <laughs> Tom Cruise had to wear lifts in his shoes when he shot scenes with Kelly. Okay. Cruises from five six five seven, mm-hmm. while McGillan's is five ten. So to get them kind of equal, oh, and so no. it didn't look awkward. Tom Cruise mm-hmm. had to wear lifts in his shoes. Wow, which is kind of funny. I mean, it's it's interesting. It's not the first time that that people do this. Like a lot of actors are short. And a lot of actresses are tall. And so uh, when you get these big actors that don't want to look short next to a woman, they put lifts in their shoes to make them look like they're taller than them or at least the same height. Yeah. It's it's movie magic. It's a movie illusion. Just one of those things that they do. Right. Because heaven forbid a tall girl date a short guy. Right, I was just <laughs> going to say that, man. I mean, I think they're more pressured about making it male-dominant than the audience cares for. No one cares if the lead actor is shorter than their their wife or significant other. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just look at Richard Dreyfuss and What About Bob? <laughs> so, yeah. In the, no last, in the last scene where mm-hmm. Maverick is sitting at the counter and you see someone go to the jukebox and put in a quarter... Mm-hmm. For to play, uh, you've lost that love and feeling. When he and Charlie walk up to each other, McGillens is actually standing in a trench, which was dug by the production technicians because they wanted the two to look like they were the same height. So they dug a trench for Kelly to stand in. They made her stand in a hole. <laughs> made her stand yeah. in a hole. And That's Tom awesome. Cruise just stood on the regular ground. <laughs> no one cares, man. I mean, whatever. I mean, they couldn't have had Tom flaw. stand on a stool. Right. I don't. They had to well, dig a trench. Right. It's so You're funny. This hole. <laughs> nice. The elevator scene in which Maverick and Charlie meet each other after a workout was filmed in post production. Mm hmm. Uh, if you could tell, McGillan's hair had already been colored for another movie, which is why she was wearing that hat in there. 
It just gotcha. wasn't like supposed to be this like, oh, look, it's a cute hat look. <laughs> no. I mean, it worked. I mean, it, it worked. Just, it, really, it totally yeah. worked. But there's a reason why they did it. Absolutely. You can also tell that Tom Cruise's hair in there is a little bit longer. It's just one of those things that they had to throw in there for some filler. Right. When test audiences first saw the movie before it was released, mm-hmm. the audiences were annoyed that there was no love scenes in the movie. Don't give me a break. Yeah, right. I know, I know. And it didn't I, do I don't know I don't know who who what audience members are gonna watch Top Gun just this awesome fighter jets all over the place and it's just a freaking cool movie and they're gonna be like you know what this movie needs this movie needs a love scene <laughs> right, who cares but it Whatever. must have been they- but it must have been a lot of audience members because the producers made sure to add that in there. The producers took their suggestions and five months after the film finished production, they went back. They got Cruz and McGillens back together uh-huh. and they flew them out to Chicago to film that elevator scene uh-huh. and the and the love scene in the movie. Oh. Pointless. And the elevator scene was funny and cute, but I, they, we could have just assumed that they had sex at some point. You didn't need to film it, but yeah, whatever. But you know, it's they there. filmed it. It's there now. It's there. Yeah. Those test audience members got what they asked for. So happy for them. In that five months of uh-huh. since you know the production ended between that and bringing them back in, Cruz was filming The Color of Money at the time. You know, every time I watch this film, I forget that Tim Robbins is in it for some reason. <sighs> well, Jessica just realized it for the first time. This I was watching it right before I came down to record. Oh, really? She, yeah. Because, okay, we're getting into Billy's personal life here, but <laughs> I, I feel like... So, okay, after the graduation, when they get their orders, you know, they give it to... They give one to... Iceman and Slider, and then they give one to Hollywood, and then they give it to Tom Cruise's Maverick, and and Viper goes, Maverick, you'll get a second when you get on the ship, but if you don't get one, or they can't find you one, I'll be your second. Yeah. We missed such a cool opportunity with that one. They just pulled Merlin from the very beginning of the film, throw him at the end of the film. Tim Robbins essentially had nothing to do with the movie. It would have been so much cooler had Viper been with him. It makes sense to have Viper with him. I don't know why they right. didn't do that either. That doesn't make sense to me. Lost opportunity, man. Oh, I was well. so mad. It's all good. It's still a great movie. It's yeah, funny, though, because we... Tim Robbins, he's 6'5". The dude's freaking yes. tall. And oh, yeah. Because he's so tall, he would not have been able to been aviator for the Navy. Oh, he was too tall. He was too tall. He wouldn't have been able to fit in an F-14 cockpit. Crazy. The guy had a decent career after that, so I guess this is just the jumping off point for him. Do you know the line that Val Kilmer ad-libbed in the movie? There was one line. (laughs) Yeah, I read about that. It's a good one. 
So when the students are being briefed by Charlie in the hangar, Maverick explains that he gave the bird to a MiG. She asks how he saw the MiG up close, and he says he was flying inverted. Right then, Iceman coughs, Bullshit! <laughs> and everyone laughed. The bullshit line was, well, that was ad-lib by Kilmer. And everyone's reaction that was shot was, was genuine. That's hilarious, though, dude, because I think that's another thing that made Top Gun so fun was the levity in it. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. They, if like they're trying to make this super Cold War drama, that wouldn't have been in it. But I mean, it needed that because that's how life is. People, when you get a bunch of guys together, they're ragging on each other. So that was that was perfect. I love yeah. that line. The F-14 pilot in the film who flipped the bird at the MiG was actually mm-hmm. Scott Altman of the VF-51, who eventually became a NASA astronaut flying as pilot on two missions and as commander on two more missions. Wow. Altman was the guy who did all of the stunt flying for Tom Cruise. At the time, remember, Tom Cruise didn't even know how to ride a motorcycle. There was no way he was flying jets around. Now he can fly jets around all day with no problem, but back then, he needed a stunt fighter pilot to help him out. He did. (laughs) Well, good job for Scott Altman. Most of the actors who portrayed F-14 crew members received backseat rides in the F-14, and several of the scenes which appear in the film were filmed with the actors in the air. Which is really cool, man, because then they they know how to react, you know, act and react like they've been in the, the planes themselves. And another cool thing is, out of all the actors that were in there, Anthony Edwards was the only one that didn't vomit in the, in the jet. He That's, should get like a special prize for that. He probably did. Yeah. Probably got a nice steak dinner at the barbecue <laughs> place where they filmed the movie. Yeah, which has pretty decent barbecue. Yeah, we've been there. We've been to the yep. barbecue place. Love that yep. place. Yep. And uh, they have speaking of Anthony Edwards, so I, I watched this with my 11-year-old. He was enthralled the whole time. And it hurt me to watch him see the scene where Goose died. Well, because it's a rough scene, man. Yeah. And if that well, scene does play like that whole aspect of the story plays a huge role in Top Gun Maverick too. Right. And that's why I'm so excited to show it to him because, man, when the scene happened, he turns to me and said, Goose better not die. And I was like, uh... Just keep watching, buddy. So, yeah, it's heartbreaking to everybody, man. That's It's not an easy one to get through. Yeah, there's actually that scene in the movie where Goose says, you kill me, when he laughs about Iceman's joke about the plaques for the alternates that's uh-huh. on display in the ladies' room, which right. is kind of a foreshadowing of Goose's death. Right. When Goose is killed in, the, in that, uh, what was it, a jet wash that happened? Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was because Maverick that was flew into Iceman's jet wash when Iceman Later rolled film, out of the right. chase of Jester's aircraft, causing both engines to go out and put Maverick yeah. into that flat spin. Yep. So, kind of crazy because just a little foreshadowing. Yeah, on that exactly. One. Kind of, kind of a cool uh, little thing that you didn't. I never really thought of that before. You know, yeah. all these years until just kind of like you know, watching it four times within a week and, you know, doing a bunch of research and just something that just kind of 
is interesting to see and learn. That's nuts, dude. I never thought about that, but man. Yeah. Oh man. Pretty crazy. Big things. What? I said, look at them doing big things. Yeah, exactly. Rick Rosovich, who played Ah, Slider in the movie. Slider. In the DVD commentary of the film, he explains that he was kicked off the ship that they were using for filming because he smarted off to an actual officer on the ship. Oh, gosh. He'd gone to sleep in the bunk. Uh, where he was assigned, but he didn't like being so close to the nuclear reactors that powered Mm -hmm. the ship. So he moved. And when he did that, he ended up smarting off to the officer who wanted his bunk back because he took someone else's bunk. So the officer's like, oh, this is my bed. I... This is where I sleep. You go sleep next to the nuclear reactor. (laughs) And Robin... And, uh... Rozovich told was told to report to the captain who ordered him thrown off the ship for disrespect. Good for him. <laughs> Dude. Uh, he's a good actor, but just anytime I see him in anything, I'm like, oh, there's Slider. <laughs> I think, ah, Slider, you stink. <laughs> <laughs> so you remember in the movie when uh, Maverick buzzes the tower, like that's one of his big things like he likes buzzing people in his jet heck yeah so no one had ever buzzed the tower at miramar before where they Mm -hmm. filmed the movie so the navy pilots who were flying the scenes for the film drew straws to see who would actually get to do it and it ended up going to lieutenant commander lloyd bozo abel because bozo just wins everything apparently and gets to do all the cool stuff yeah (laughs) <laughs> like make Tom Cruise throw up. Yeah, exactly. Michael Ironside, who plays Jester in the movie, just happened to be at the hangar that day, and the plane flew low enough to where he could actually see into the cockpit as it flew by. He said it was one of the most spectacular things he'd ever seen, and I bet it was. I bet that was just the coolest freaking thing ever. It had to be, man. I mean, I, just to see that, like we're watching it on the big screen and we're getting to see this cool stuff in movies, but seeing it in person and just feeling the heat and the pulse of the jet engines as it flies by, seeing the person flying it has got to be just like freaking bad ass. Yeah, and like the noise it makes isn't just a noise it's a feeling like you feel it in your chest and it rumbles huge like we have uh we live close to an air base right now and sometimes the jets fly over our house and it just feels like the whole house is vibrating because of those things yeah so that had to be crazy to see yeah seriously the final combat scenes in the movie were actually inspired by two actual real life incidents the capture of the u.s navy spy ship USS Pueblo by North Korea in 1969 and the 1980s Gulf of Sidra engagements where F-14 Tomcats downed four Libyan MiGs in air-to-air combat. I can't even imagine what it would be like to actually, for real, air-to-air combat. Like dogfights, for real. Like life and death situations. It's got to be so freaking insane and intense. 
And this movie, th- these movies, especially, I, uh, I think Top Gun Maverick more so than Top Gun captures that right perfectly. Like you feel the intensity, but to actually be in a real situation like that is just gotta be insane. Like I, Look, I just, I don't know. That's just amazing to me. Bro, and it feels like uh, Top Gun Maverick has more playing time than you got in the first one. Yes. There's, like, a lot more story in the first one, and the second one it feels like they're they're pushing the limits a lot more as far as playing time. Oh, for sure. Dude, yeah, they it's... definitely had some fun. I, I believe uh, the director, Joseph Kaczynski, said they shot... 800 hours of footage for Top Gun Maverick. All That's the jet insane. fighter sh- footage and stuff. And Dude. all that was used to make this movie. They took the best of what they had and cut it together in this beautiful, awesome-looking film. Right. And that's crazy, dude. I mean, you already said you were willing to sign up right away after the first one well not right away i was a kid but it inspired me to want to to want to do it want to do it yeah absolutely it had to inspire so many people to want to do that well for sure i mean that's i mean kind of that was the whole point for the navy the movie was kind of made as a recruitment movie like to get people to sign up to join the navy perfect they actually set up uh, recruiting booths in major movie theaters to try and get some of the audience, like the guys who saw the movie, like they walk out of the movies, they're charged up, their drones flowing from just seeing this awesome Top Gun movie. And as mm-hmm. they're leaving the screenings, there are Navy recruitment booths ready to sign them up right there. Now that's some smart shit. They had... It is, it is said that they had the highest applications rate for years as a result. Yeah. Top Gun was the Navy's best recruitment tool ever, and now we've got Top Gun Maverick coming out, which is going to inspire a whole other group of of young men and women to join the military. The thing, right? If they get the chance to fly those planes, they're going to want to do it. Heck, I walked out wishing I could do it. I'm too old now, but if they asked me, I'd totally do it. And a lot of a lot of critics actually at the time complained that the movie basically was used as a recruitment film. Like they that's a lot of critics sought as that. And the US Navy stated that the film's popularity resulted in a five hundred percent increase in the number of recruits wanting to enter their aviation program. Paramount mm. offered to include a Navy recruitment ad on the initial home video release in exchange for debits owed to the U.S. Navy for their cooperation. However, the ad agency who produced the ads for the U.S. military informed the Pentagon that the movie itself was enough of a propaganda tool and that an official recruiting ad would be redundant. Agreed. Because people would have fast-forwarded through that ad anyway. Watching the movie was what they needed. Exactly. And also, you know, one of the things that they did, because, you know, they don't want to, like, make it so people don't want to join, right? So in the film, Uh Cougar was supposed to have crashed while trying to land back on the carrier originally. 
and his wow. death was supposed to be why Maverick slid into Cougar's spot. Okay? okay. So remember in the movie, Cougar like lo- he snaps. Snaps and just his mind yeah. breaks and he's like, I can't do this anymore. Like this was just too intense. Right. Uh, but he was originally supposed to, to crash trying to land the plane on the aircraft gear. The Navy wanted this cut and changed as it was intended to be a recruitment tool for the Navy. They did not want negative attention drawn on the particularly hazardous aspect of serving on an aircraft carrier or flying fighters. I can understand that, dude. I mean, but like that's the reality of it, though. That stuff can happen. That. Like, you know, you're going to be put in dangerous situations where right. you could easily be killed. Like, that's kind of your job when you're called to serve right right yeah i mean they kind of hit the nail on the head with with goose dying and with hollywood's uh, plane getting shot down yeah but yes that's the reality you might not make it one time but i mean sure the navy had a lot of money in on this exactly and like i said earlier the navy played a huge part in the in the development and production of the film in fact uh, the Pentagon demanded script approval to ensure mm. that the Navy was portrayed in a positive light. They demanded the cause of Goose's death to be changed from a mid-air collision to an ejection mishap because the Navy was concerned that it looked like too many pilots were crashing. Right. I can understand their concern over that. And, you know, in helping the Navy kind of like in their recruit using this film as a recruitment tool, they actually in their, in their ads that they had going on at the time that year, some of the Navy ads put in the classic danger zone music. Mm -hmm. And they also made sure to put in like top gun film shots in there so that they could, you know, Hey, we just had Hollywood make this film. We might as well put it to use. So, when they ended up doing their own videos for their own ads, they took elements of Top Gun to help persuade people to join the Navy in there, and I quote, join the Navy commercials. <laughs> and it's a smart idea, because it's going to get you all hyped up. You hear Danger Zone, you're like, yep, it's on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we talked about earlier the barbecue mm. place. Ah, uh, this Kansas is lo- City Barbecue. Yep, so this is located in San Diego, California, called Kansas City Barbecue. The restaurant housed many props and memorabilia from the film. However, on June 26, 2008, Kansas City Barbecue suffered a grease fire that destroyed much of the interior of the establishment. So everything everything burned up. And the restaurant has since been repaired to its original state. But much of the Top Gun stuff that they had on display from the film was damaged or destroyed. That's sad. The two most prominent pieces that remain are the Great Balls of Fire piano and one of the original flight helmets that was used during filming, uh, one of Maverick's helmets. That's sweet. So if you want to see some of that and you're in San Diego, go check it out. Get some food and check out some Top Gun stuff. It is cool. It's cool being in there. It's cool seeing that stuff. Yeah, we try to go every year when we're at Comic-Con. Ooh, Comic-Con. Coming up this summer. Donuts. Top Gun is credited with starting the home video industry. That's crazy. Originally, VHS tapes were priced at $100 
on their first release. That's crazy. And were sold mainly to video stores. This film was priced to own immediately upon release. And that was made possible by Pepsi-Cola buying ad space at the beginning of the tape. Since then, pricing VHS tapes to own right away became a common practice. So this was the first film you could actually go and buy a VHS tape for, you could afford it. You didn't have to pay a hundred bucks for it. And you could buy Mm -hmm. it personally, which was so cool. Yes. I remember owning that. That original Top Gun VHS. So the ad that was included on that tape was a fighter pilot themed Diet Pepsi commercial. Uh, when the pilot opens his bottle of Diet Pepsi, <laughs> but it's I unable to release it from its cup holder, the pilot flies inverted, much like Maverick does at the beginning of the film, in order to pour the soda into his cup. I, dude, it's so weird. I can vividly remember that commercial that's so strange <laughs> i hadn't thought about it till right now so that's funny you know i vaguely remember it and i had to well i before i started I, i'm gonna post it online but i found it on youtube so you can i'll make sure everyone can watch this commercial because it's it's amusing to see these retro commercials like this like right. this is the commercial that made it possible for people to own vhs tapes right yay this movie was a feature film debut of Meg Ryan. Crazy, right? It is crazy. I love Meg Ryan. And nah. she used to make some of the best. Those I loved her in the 80s. She does, not, does, doesn't do much these days, but... Uh, no. But man, she's great. Uh, Meg Ryan and Anthony Edwards became a real item after filming concluded. Oh, good for them. Yeah, they had a little thing. They had a little fling. Following the movie, some of the F5s used as the MiG-28s maintained their black paint schemes and served as aggressor aircraft simulating enemy planes in real-life Top Gun programs. That's crazy. In the beginning, it is revealed that Maverick was put in, and I quote, in hack twice. This is naval slang for being confined to quarters, usually during a port call and thus not being allowed to leave the ship. Because Maverick's just a maverick. He just doesn't care. He's a honey badger. He just don't give up. (laughs) Judas Priest were originally asked to contribute the song Reckless to the soundtrack, but declined because they thought the movie would flop. Two years later, they contributed a cover of Johnny B. Good to the movie of the same name, Johnny B. Good, the 1988 film, which turned out to be a flop. So they had their chance to be part of a hit film. Yep. They could have been right there with Danger Zone, man. Brian Adams was asked to allow his song, Only the Strong Survive, on the soundtrack but he refused because he felt the film glorified war. Oh, give me a break. I just thought it glorified badassery. Right. Tony Scott calls the film the purest form of escapism and says it mainlines entertainment. And it does. And so does the sequel. Heck yeah. It is, it is the ultimate, is the ultimate entertainment. Everybody. I, I, I want people to be as pumped as I was when I walked out of that movie. The second one is so good. Uh, the movie was originally going to have a scene near the end where Maverick visits Goose's grave. 
Mm-hmm. A filmed version of this was never released. However, there are shots that you can find that kind of show what the scene would have looked like. I believe those were included on the special edition DVD at one point, and they're probably easy to find online. Instead, instead, Maverick takes Goose's dog tags and oh throws gosh. them into the ocean. <laughs> what a selfish move. I don't even understand the point of that scene. Why would he throw them in the ocean? It's like, this is like your best friend's dog tags. And I, I get that he's like, I, I'm, I'm moving on with my life. I'm letting go. I get that. But this is your best friend. Like, wouldn't you want to keep him? Why doesn't his wife have them, right? Right. To give, give to his, his son. Right. At some point. There is dad's dog tags. Yeah. And he throws them into the ocean. I always thought that was weird. It's still weird. I don't get it. Speaking of of Goose, there are online debates on various websites and on YouTube on who was actually responsible for Goose's death in the movie. In the film, Maverick is cleared of the incident, and he is not at fault for the plane entering the spin. Some speculate that Maverick was directly responsible for Goose's death and that it was his fault because in the chase of Jester, Maverick continued the leftward turn to follow Jester and he swept through Iceman's jet wash as Iceman moved up and to the right and Maverick followed too closely behind Iceman and refused to back off and Maverick didn't take a less dangerous position because he wanted to get the better shot of Jester. Others speculated that it was Iceman's fault because Maverick told Iceman to break high right and he went left, causing Maverick to get caught in the jet stream and he took too long and just had to keep trying to get a lock on the enemy fighter. Who Whose fault do you think it is, Billy? Look, you Where can't... do you fall on this? Okay, so... Yeah, he acted like an idiot. He pulled the wrong move. But ultimately, it was a mechanical m- malfunction. The cuz it's supposed to be a delay between the camera coming off and the fighters and the pilots shooting out of the plane, right? Yes. Yes, ultimately, they wouldn't have had to do it had Maverick listened to to Iceman. But I think that was like his reality check because that put him in that position. There's a malfunction with the canopy and the launching of his seat that caused the accident. Exactly. Right. So there's no blame. Well, and, that, just... and that's and that's the thing. He was no one was blamed for it. It was considered an accident by the Navy. Right. Like they investigated it. In the end, they're like, it's nobody's fault. This was just a pure accident. So right. leave it at that. There doesn't even right. need to know debate about it. Exactly. Yeah. But I still, it still gets me every time because if it would have just been like one second later, had he ejected one second later, he would have been fine. There it's are, still sad. yeah, no, you're right. There are two video games based very loosely on the movie that were released on Nintendo NES. While the mm-hmm. first game really had no storyline, the second actually served as a sequel storyline regarding Maverick going up against a new group of villains. Did you ever play those games? Yes. I, I played, played the, the first, first one. one. Yeah, I never played the sequel. I paid, played the first one. I also I also played the game in the arcades, the one where you got to sit in the thing that yes. moved as you. Loved that one. That was oh. awesome. 
Like I, that hard. was like, that was so like whenever hard. I went to the arcade, it was like, that was the one, that was the first thing I went, ran up to. I'm like, I have to go play Top Gun. And right. whenever someone was in it, I was, I just remember being so mad. Cause I'm like, Oh, I just want to play it. <laughs> but remember that was outrageous. Cause it was like the dollar video game. Everything yeah. else was a quarter and that yep. one was a dollar. But man, your first dollar always went to Top Gun. It did. I love that game so much. And I and I still have like I have vivid memories of playing the NES game. Like it's right. weird. It's really it's weird that I like still remember that stuff. Like right now as I'm talking about it, it's like my mind is just flowing with these memories of playing it. You can it. see the intro of the plane yeah. coming up. And yeah. Uh so cool. I love that game, but it was so hard. In 1996, the video game Top Gun Fire at Will was released on PC, on PC and PlayStation. This would be the only Top Gun game to feature an actor from the original movie with James Tolkien playing the commander of the game, though his call sign was Hondo, not Stinger, as in the original film. They should have just kept it as Stinger. Yeah. Why, why Hondo? Who knows? I don't know. Anyway, there was a script before Top Gun Maverick. There was a script for Top Gun 2 that was completed shortly after the release of the first movie. Mm-hmm. However, it broke down in pre-production because first, the military's technology had become updated and they didn't want camera crews anywhere near the new aircraft. They did not. Makes sense. Yeah. So they just wanted to keep things secret. And two, Tom Cruise did not want a sequel at the time. It wasn't until later where he actually decided to do it because just everything kind of came together. Like, they had a great script, a great director. It's just the perfect time to do it now than it was back then. Well, at the time, too, it was just just, uh, too expensive, too. Like, they they looked at it, and they're like, they they literally deemed it unaffordable. Right. And well, that and he was becoming the top star at that time, so I'm sure yeah. it would have cost too much to have him in it. Exactly. And at that time, the script followed the further adventures of Maverick as an instructor at the Top Gun Academy. The twist being a cocky female reminiscent of himself joining the team. Huh. So that's what that original draft would have been like. But while it would have been cool to see, I love that they waited and now we're getting Top Gun Maverick because the movie is awesome. And I like the story too. I love the story it tells. The story was great. And, oh man. And the thing is, if you didn't see Top Gun, you could watch uh, Top Gun Maverick and be okay. But it's really made for those who loved the first story. Like if you love Top Gun, Top Gun Maverick is going to be like, oh, it makes you emotional. The first sequence is exactly like top gun going onto the carrier and all that yeah just get your heart racing because you're like that's how you do it <laughs> it's so good so please go watch top gun we love the movie yeah watch top gun and then watch top gun maverick please. on the big screen you got to see this on the big screen to like fully appreciate the greatness of it like the seriously biggest screen you can find I wish they would re-release Top Gun on the big screen before this, because I definitely go see that on the big screen too. Oh heck yeah! Anyway, thank you all for joining us on this adventure through Top Gun. We really appreciate it. 
it's been fun talking about the movie. Uh, we just, we love it so much. It's just such a staple of my childhood. Like I grew up watching Top Gun and I loved it as a kid. I love it as an, as an adult. I love the sequel. I mean, I, it was emotional for me watching the sequel. It was crazy. Like I was not expecting to get so gosh damn emotional, but I was. Right. It's crazy. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the thing too, is they did the sequel right. Like they, a lot of movies, they rush to get the sequel out to give you the content, to give you what you need. But this one needed that space. Exactly. To breathe and to be what it is. And oh man, it was so worth it. I can't wait for you guys to see it. Before we end this though, Bill, do you have a quote from the movie? Dude, there's lots of great quotes. So many. But the one that I still use to this day, randomly, or in the middle of conversations when I feel like a conversation is getting boring and nobody knows what I'm talking about except for true Top Gun fans, <laughs> I'll just yell randomly, I want butts! And then I'll walk away. <laughs> nice. So I still, like, from a kid to now, man, I still yell, I want butts. And that's it. It's awesome. What about you, buddy? I know you got one. I do. It, it, and I feel like I know what it, it is. And it made me laugh. Well, I'm curious. Which one do you think it is? No, I'm, I'm waiting for you. Okay, okay. Yeah. This one, Because this one just kind of stuck out to me the last time I watched it. There's like a lot of quotes that are like easily quotable from this movie. But this is one, I don't know if it's a quotable quote or not, but it's one that just stuck out to me this during this last time that I watched the movie a bunch of times that just made mm-hmm. me laugh. That I never really noticed before, but it stuck out here. And it's, and if you screw up just this much, you'll be fine. A cargo plane full of rubber dog shit out of Hong Kong. I knew it. Yep. (laughs) Yep. There's, there's Stinger for you doing his thing. I wanted to go something different. Something without Iceman, something without uh, Maverick. I wanted to do something a little different, but the one thing we didn't talk about in this that I just want to touch on before we close this out is mm-hmm. is Iceman's bite at Tom Cruise's face. <laughs> what? Like that was one of the things. Like so, Anthony Edwards was talking about the movie, and he said most of the stuff in it is made up because the script was so. He said, "quote unquote" skeletal. Yeah, that most of the stuff they do is just ad-libbed it's improv and i i totally want to believe that that was one of them it had to have been we're just (laughs) ice man just gets up into maverick's face and and chomps at (laughs) and i just it gets me every time i'm like i don't understand it but i love it yeah did you ever do it as a kid of course of course, yes. Of course, I and, too, and you could never—it never felt right. That's the crazy thing. Like you could do it, but it—it it never comes off naturally. Like it came off naturally for Val Kilmer when he did it. Like when he did yes. it, it was like, oh, I could totally see him do it. When anyone else does it, it just doesn't work. Right, but just in that moment when he does it, it that actually seemed like he truly antagonized. Maverick with that one. Like, that was like the ultimate insult. Exactly. I bite the air in front of your face. (laughs) So, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook. Our call sign is at GT Secret Level. Uh, Feel free to reach out to us, hit us up with anything. 
Give us a five-star review. We'd love the five-star review. Give us a review regardless. Write some nice things if you'd like. We yeah, like uh, nice things. If you were a Top Gun pilot, what would your call sign be? Oh, that's easy. Badler. Ah, uh, yes. Badler's made it onto the podcast. Badler has made it onto the podcast. Fantastic. Maybe one day we will talk about why Badler is my call sign. Ah, yes. That's awesome. So, yes. What about you? Uh, pork chop. Yep, that makes sense. Yep, there we go. <laughs> All right, uh, everybody. Guys, thank you so much. Have a good we- morning, afternoon, or evening. And we will talk to you again soon. In the yeah, meantime, go watch Top Gun stuff. And then get ready for Top Gun back. Yep. All right, guys. Have a good one. See ya. The Defense Department regrets to inform you that your sons are dead because they were stupid. (laughs) Great goose line.